Hello, welcome to FiresideFileMaker.com, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad. Hello, I'm Michael Rashad, and welcome to Fireside FileMaker. And my name is John Mark Osborne, and we're going to do a podcast today. And Mark La Rochelle, our frequent guest, is going to be the master of ceremony here. So we'll let him take away from here. Perfect. Hey, guys, thanks for joining us. And we want to give a special thanks to Nick from Goya, who is joining us from uh, yet another content uh, continent. And we've talked today just a little bit before we get started here, the fact that uh, all four of us are talking from different parts of the world, uh, representing three different continents today. So that's pretty amazing. So today's topic is called uh, basically FileMaker Analysis Solutions. And they're important tools for the professional FileMaker developer so that a developer is aware of all the elements in their solution. Analysis tools allow you to see inside your solution and find important things easier than normally without a solution tool, such as the elements, whether they are broken, whether they are unused, or elements that could hinder performance. So in this episode, we are visited by Nicholas Orr from Goya, the creator of a solution called Base Elements. And I'm Mark LaRochelle from Productive Computing, and I am a regular guest. But today I have a special uh, significance here because we, uh, we meaning Nick and I, have a sort of a strategic partnership where Nick has the product Base Elements, and we have a course called Base Elements Mastery, where we feature the product and allow developers to take their experience with the product to the next level, sort of if they want to master it, become an expert in it. And we offer this product at Productive Computing University. All right. So I think we'll just dig in here to some talking points. And Nick, you know, we are always curious. Uh, we are lifelong developers here of the platform, and I know you are as well. So if you take a minute or so to explain a little bit about your background and how you got started with FileMaker and all of that. Well, good day all. Thank you. Um, good morning, and, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, my background in FileMaker starts back when. Uh, FileMaker 3 was around, so I don't know. I don't know exactly what year that was, um, but obviously now it's it's been quite a while. Um, so I was I had done some work uh, in a company that used Macs, and so I had a, a penchant for using them. And then I had some work come up where someone suggested to me that um, I could be um, building a little cross-platform app for them. So I sort of hunted around for a solution to do that with and came across FileMaker and thought, yes, this will do. It was right on the verge of version 4 coming out. So version 4 introduced the runtime, which meant that we could then distribute it, this, this little app on a floppy disk of all things. It was bigger, it was small enough that it would fit on a floppy disk. So that's how I got started in FileMaker. Um, and I've been doing it ever since. So yeah, that was the, that was the beginning. That was right around the time where it became cross-platform and relational? Yeah, I, I, I don't know the difference between 3 and 4, three and four, but yeah, it was cross-platform. Um, the runtime was introduced. I, I think the reason we didn't go with 3 and started straight into version 4 when it came out was because of the runtime. It seems to be my recollection that uh, the, the runtime became both um, yeah, cross-platform, Mac and Windows, um, at that time, it was great. It literally fitted on a you know 1.4 megabyte floppy disk, so we could distribute the application um, and everything we needed on that. So it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing times, and I remember them very well. I remember when a database got larger than let's say even 10 meg, 
moving that from place to place, uh, from even from the computer same hard drive would be an exercise in futility. You have to wait and wait and wait because the drives were so slow back then and everything else. So, and now today, yeah, ten yeah. Me- ten meg seems like trivial by comparison. I remember buying the my first ten megabyte hard drive in about 1987, 88. And I thought, wow, I've just spent $1,000 on a 10 megabyte hard drive. What am I ever going to do with all this storage? (laughs) Hey, guys, I think I have some unimportant information. This trivia I've been waiting to, to talk about for a long time, and Nick helped me out to get it out of my brain. But I believe 4.0 was the first Windows version and 4.1 was when it became cross-platform. You could actually take your files from one platform to the other or actually share them. I could be wrong. Somebody in the audience correct me if I am, but that's what I recollect. Right. Yeah, my my recollection of it's fairly hazy. So uh, um, I I do remember that we we didn't go we didn't buy three because we waited an extra month or so for four to come out. So must have been around that time. Yeah, and I think it was 3.0 that introduced the idea of a relationship through a portal of sorts, something to do with portals, maybe portal sorting. I don't know, but it was... It was a long time ago. <laughs> that's right. It was a long time ago. So now Base Elements comes along, but that didn't happen right away. Do you remember the year that you created Base Elements and essentially why you were inspired to create such a thing? Yeah, I, I do. Um, so it was it was around the FileMaker 6, FileMaker 7 era. So if any people have been around FileMaker for a long time, there was a huge jump uh, between version 6 and version 7. It changed file format. Um, it, it it was a one-way step. You couldn't go back to version 6. Um, so in pre-version 6 days, there was a similar product. Um, people were uh, who, who worked around then will remember Metadata Magic. And it was a very similar thing to uh, what Base Elements is doing in that it was a, a FileMaker database full of all the data about things that are inside your solution. It was actually really cool that it uh, it didn't use the DDR. It operated on the files directly. So it would read from the FileMaker file and, and understand everything about it. And I'd been playing around with the DDR and with XML and XSLT. Um, and if anyone who's listening gets all scared about that, it's actually not as hard as you think. And, and it's something that you can dive into and, and, and learn. Um, and I had this idea that you could pull all this data out of the DDR. So the changeover from version 6 to version 7 happens and uh, Beta Data Magic doesn't seem to be coming along for the ride. So we, there's no you know prospect of it coming around. There was another competitive product around um, for version 7 of FileMaker. Um, it did the same thing as Base Elements does in terms of importing from the DDR. And I remember uh, using it one time and looking at it and it had a... a, a like a wizard interface for doing finds rather than being a FileMaker thing where you just do Command F and and look for the thing you wanted. And there was some bit of info that I wanted. I wanted to know something like, you know, tell me all the fields that are doing a lookup from this other table because I need to, you know, make a change to that or something like that. So I went through the wizard interface and it was quite a sort of stepwise process. You need to say what you're doing a find for, you need to declare where you're doing it and then what you're doing. And I went through about eight or nine different steps. Anyway, this is my record 
recollection of it anyway. And I got to the end and I realised that I couldn't actually do the find for what I wanted. So I cancelled and went back out. And there I was. I was staring at this screen going, I know the information's there. Why can't you just let me do a find? And I realised that that idea of a, a FileMaker database full of your data that you treat like a FileMaker database was a cool thing. So I thought, actually, you know what, this little you know tool that I've been playing around with you know the xslt and the ddr i'm gonna see if i can make it work and um i had <clears throat> i had some spare time because i um uh, we just had a, a a new kid so we were home a lot we weren't going out we were putting a kid to bed early and then sort of sitting around on the couch and so i used to sit with my laptop on the couch uh watching some tv with my wife and and writing base elements so the the first time I did anything serious with it, I took it to the 2006 DevCon, which was it was sort of launched earlier in that year. And then basically that uh, DevCon, it was in um, Orlando, Florida, um, was its its first big public showing. So Awesome. Great. I think I was there for that, Nick, if I remember rightly, because I believe I met you at that time and I was fascinated with it. No, I was just going to say, I, 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 I met a lot of people that year. It was... Um, it was it was really cool. Like I, people would come up to me at the booth and then um, I'd show them base elements and they go, that's fantastic. I want to buy it. And then 10 minutes later, they'd be off finding other people and bringing them to the booth. I was, you know, I'd, I'd never done a conference before. I'd never, you know, done a booth or anything like that. I had no idea what to expect. I honestly thought I was going to have to, you know, perform magic tricks or something to get someone to show up at the booth and and perhaps you know if i if i got a half a dozen sales out of it i'd be happy but i had queues of people waiting to give me their credit cards because people loved it so um it was a it was a really eye-opening experience for me nick i wanted to emphasize something you said which was about you designed this product the base elements for developers essentially because developers know how to use filemaker they know how to do a find you don't want to be walked through a wizard you want to have control because how can you as a developer of the product determine how in every which way somebody might want to interface with it and search it and because it's a filemaker database it sounds like you've completely opened up as much as you can base elements to allowing people to, to work with it as a FileMaker database. Yeah, I mean, that's um, that was that starting trigger for, for where I wanted to go with it. And it's been something that I've always stuck in my head. You know, it's, it's a FileMaker database with tables for every table in your database, with a table for every field. You know, there's a record for every field. There's a record for every script. There's a record for every calculation and every object. You know, there's there's all the records. They're all interrelated. So if an object is a field reference, you can go from the object to the field record to the table record to the you know to the layout to all those sort of things. So it's all just cross reference. But then when I make design decisions about the interface or what I include or what I leave out, I do go with that assumption that the the person using it is is like me. They're a FileMaker developer and they know how to use FileMaker. So I you know I. It has, you know, uh, form views, it has list views, it has a, you know, a, the list view can switch to table view, um, you can do finds, you can put up new windows, everything's linked, so you can do go to related record, you can do go to related record using found set, um, all of those things that you as a FileMaker developer, if I said to you to hunt, you know, deep into someone's data and and, and find different things and, and work out, you know, or, you know, 
pop up a new layout or modify a layout to show different things or you know create a, another file that references the data in base elements all those things that, that we do when we're manipulating lots of data in FileMaker um, I've made really deliberate decisions to keep all of those things in base elements so that the end user can access them yeah and that's what makes the product so unique and that's what I'm attracted to the product for as well just the the I also used metadata magic back in the day. They had kind of stopped support on it, probably because the file format changed to version seven. And then this came along, and I think we bought our first copy in 2007, according to my records. Version two is when we started, and I've been using it ever since. So, and and because John and 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 Michael, it's because you can do a find, and that is just so important. You know, just go into find mode, find it. And then complex finds too, not just a simple find, but, you know, find all the fields of a certain type in conjunction with layouts that might be presented in this file or things like that, you know, complex finds. Yeah, the the example that I use a lot when I'm doing a demo um, actually came about because someone asked me about it. I was doing a, a vendor session at DevCon, and so I'm, I'm doing the presentation. And I said, look, has anyone got any questions? And someone said to me, oh, they've just introduced, you know, I think this was around version... Uh, no, it wasn't nine. Oh, anyway, don't recall. But they, they added the quick find feature, which essentially is the idea that you can do a find in that little quick find um, field in the toolbar and it will search on everything on the layout. Now by default everything on the layout is turned on for quick find so if you don't want certain things to be searched in the quick find you need to actually explicitly go and turn them off. Now if you've got a solution that's covered in uh, layout fields that are unstored calculations and someone goes and does a quick find that's going to be terribly slow because it's going to search in every single unstored calculation for the data you put in the quick find field so someone said to me or oh, could you find all of the places you're using um, you've got quick find turned on and it's an unstored calculation i said yeah no worries what you do and i actually showed it in a way that you step through so start with the table for example so you've got this file and then within that you've got tables and so within that you can go from the tables to all the fields and so you can see there's a step files here's all the tables go to related record um, showing all and then go to all the fields so now you've got every fielding in every uh every table so then you can do a search and you just do a quick find and so you can do like a right click and, and pop up the contextual menu against the field where it says this is the calculation field so you just do right click find matching records and so now you've got every single calculated field in the table and so then you go into the detail of the field and you can see the detail and, and see whether it says whether it's a stored calculation or not. And so you do Command F or Control F on Windows and you do put in the un, uh, the option for the unstored calculation and then you go up to the, the Find menu and you do Constrain Found Set. So then you can do every unstored calculation field uh, that's in that every unstored calculation that's in a calculated field that's in a field that's in the tables that's in all the files and you can see there's all these things that you're doing you know right clicks and, and context menus and things like that um, you know constrained founds these are all things that FileMaker developers know how to use and so then you can do go to related record using found set to say for all of those fields that are unstored calculation fields go to all the layout objects for those fields and so that 
gives you that connection. And all of those things are FileMaker things that we do, you know, we, we script them or we, we do them, you know, we quickly put together a button to show that, you know, those are only the unstored calculation fields, but they're all sort of native FileMaker things. And then you end up with a, a list that are all the objects that are unstored calculation fields across the entire solution. And so then you can go and decide whether or not the, um, that's worth going and doing. In the example I was, uh, example database I was doing that in, um, there were 3,000 of these. So it would be a long process going and turning them all off. But the idea is there that you can go and you can just find whatever you want. And, and that's that's always been the sort of driving force behind, you know, what I do with the, the solution that with base elements that you can just use it like a FileMaker solution. Excellent. I, I find that really fascinating that you've you've kept and I've already emphasized, I'm going to emphasize it again, that it's it's truly open. It's for somebody who already knows FileMaker and you can query it. But I want to quickly go back to uh, what I think killed metadata magic. Um, and you guys said that there was, you know, it was gone after six to seven. And the difference between six and seven is files were stored in clear text in FileMaker 6, you could literally open them up and see what was in there. And in FileMaker 7, they started doing Unicode. So I think that's what killed metadata magic, or at least stopped them from trying to do uh, any kind of further development with it. Yeah. I did, I did um, talk to, I've, I've got to know one of the guys from um, uh, the company that did metadata magic. Um, and they, they were exploring it, but I think it just became a, a, a bigger technical challenge than they wanted to take on. And there was another product around, if, if uh, people remember, there was a product called FMDIF, um, which did the same thing uh, of reading the, the actual FileMaker file. And I I considered that, like it was it was such a cool thing because you didn't have to generate the DDA, you could just, you could do it straight from the files. You could pull everything you needed, all the data. In theory, it's still possible, I think, in, in later versions of FileMaker. I think it just gets harder. And also there's a, a difficulty in the fact that FileMaker is not going to help you with that. Um, you've got to reverse engineer the structures and, and figure out all the meaning behind everything, and it will change with every version. Um, and then on top of that, now the encryption at rest means that the file's encrypted, so you can't actually do that from a, an encrypted at rest file. So um, it, it was something that I did consider at various points of the developing base elements, but I've stuck with the DDR. I think it's the, the best um, choice that we have at the moment. Yeah. John, I totally agree with what you're saying there. But the, I remember talking to Danny Mac about the clear text versus the, you know, the new version, a lot more secure, et cetera, et cetera, in version seven. Another piece of trivia. Does anybody remember what it used to say in FileMaker 6 files when you opened them up? Used to say mm. that, it used to say Jack is a dull boy. <laughs> I don't I know why. There was some kind of placeholder or something for, and the guys just decided to put that in there, but... That was in there. I was, it was always, I had occasionally people call the tech support line and say, Hey, why does it say this in here? I'm like, well, why are you opening the file in a text editor? So anyhow. Right. Right. Well, we've been talking about DDRs and I think it's important to clarify uh, a little bit what that is for the audience that for those who don't know, and then maybe talk about um, the built-in analysis tool which is essentially a DDR and HTML format and how that differs from something like base elements. So, um, a DDR is essentially a design database report, and it's something that when you turn on the advanced tools of FileMaker Client, you can actually go to the tools menu and export that. 
and you get two choices on how to export it in terms of format. You have the the XML format, which is what you'll need for base elements, and then you have the HTML format. Um, and the HTML format is more human readable. The XML format is not as readable to the human. Uh, so both of those are exportable, and, and maybe we could just talk to Nick real quick about, you know, obviously there is this built-in. It doesn't cost money. It's available to everyone. How is that different, better, worse than something like a base elements tool? Yeah, look, the the HTML report is that it actually, uh, the HTML report is actually a little bit of HTML and the XML backend and some XSLT. So it's doing a very similar thing to what base elements does. The HTML report hasn't been tweaked or modified in a long time. Um, It seems to be something that was built and then they sort of only barely keep it up to date. it's marginally useful in that it is, uh, you know, in some cases I'll use it as a way to document a solution for a client to say, look, here is everything in your solution in, in raw HTML. You can browse and you can cross and, and, and look around and, and, and find things. Um, some people I, I know do use it. They spit it out and then do a find within the browser and, and can find various things. Beyond that, I would highly suggest people don't use it because it can be really misleading in some cases. So as an example, um, if you have a if you have two files and you have, you know, file A has script A and file B has script B and file A, uh, script A calls script B. So you go and look at script A in the HTML report and you can see there that it says, hey, you know, this script calls script B. And so you there's a link and you can click on the link and it will take you to script B in file B. And then you look at script B and it says what scripts call this file and it doesn't say any. So if you only came across it from doing a search in script B to say, do I need this script in my solution anymore? Does anything call it? Um, it would say, no, nothing calls this script. And it, it I don't know why it's been left that way, um, that it's not, you know, doing links between files in that way, but it, it is. So I, I, I'm really hesitant to recommend anyone use it for much of anything at all, other than as a maybe as a documentation tool. So it, it is actually all based on the, the XML DDR. And so the XML, although it's not very human readable, um, you could actually use it to search for things, but it, it contains a lot of uh, what looks like code. Um, it's not very nicely laid out, so you know things just overlap. It seems to be just a lot of gibberish, um, but it is an, an almost complete uh, documentation of everything that's in your solution. Uh, Nick, the thing I really, and I, I don't use any DDR products out there. I use just the DDR and sometimes, occasionally. And the thing that really bothers me about it is it's just a big one giant HTML page, essentially. And when you do a find, which works pretty well, you can hit find and find the field you want. But then you get to where you're at and you've got this really wide display, this table display and headers only at the top. So if you've got like 100 or 200 fields in a table and you find the field you want, you go, oh, let's look across. Oh, there's something in there. What column is that? I forget. Let me scroll all the way back up to the top. It's it's a little crazy. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it, like I said, it, it's it's hard to 
you can you can find things in it you you know you could pull out a if you want to know what a calculation is without having to actually go in if you wanted to look at what a you know script was doing you know if you were uh, deep in in a in a calculation inside the defined fields and and you think hang on I need to know what that script does before I adjust this calculation I don't want to leave where I'm at you know I, I and I need to see some other bit of detail you could use it for that but beyond that um, it, you know it's not it's not something that I would recommend. And I'm not, you know, I'm not speaking here as a biased person who says you shouldn't use it, you should go and buy my tool instead. Um, it, it just, it, it is limited and it has these failures, this cross-linking failure that, that means that it's misleading and when it, the information that it tells you, which has always been a real bugbear for me. You know, if you, it, you've got to, you've got to most of all be accurate. Um, you know, you can't present this information and then get it wrong. That's just... Um, um, really, really challenging and, and really difficult for me to say, okay, go away. Um, okay, you know, this here's some information, but, but it's wrong. The problem is that, you know, if you're losing the XML, HTML, or the XML more than HTML, because HTML is much more readable, XML is meaningless to 90% of people that ever use FileMaker. I don't read it. I go, uh, yeah. No, and you can't. So, you know, base elements is, an, you know, any of the analysis tools that, that puts that into readable form, and obviously BE puts it into FileMaker readable form, which is where we all live and breathe, so it's a natural extension for us and makes perfect sense. But this obviously has required a great deal, great level of XML expertise on your part. Was that something that you'd already had or... Did you get into it as a way of solving this problem? I don't actually remember. I um, I don't know whether I started with it. I, I, I do know that the um, there, there's built into FileMaker uh, an XML format in terms of its imports, and it has this idea of XSLT. So to to explain that people don't who, who don't understand, XML is a, a structured text file, so it has um, a, nodes and each node you know has a an opening and closing bracket and then it has content within it and you can have nodes within nodes and all sorts of various long complex complex detail but you can open it up in a text editor and see what it is and then there's this idea of xslt which is a way of taking um uh, an xml file and transforming it the t is 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 transform and it and transform it into another format so the ddr is a structure it just says you know here is uh, our area where we have our list of tables and then here is a table and then within that table here is all the content within the table so you know fields and all those all those things so uh, it's not in a structure that you can import into filemaker because what filemaker understands is here is a record here is the field data within the record and then here is another record and here's the field data. So you've got to take the two formats and transform one to another. And you do that with XSLT. Um, and the ability to do that is actually built in. It's been baked into FileMaker for forever and a day. Um, and when I started, I thought, you know, this is this is going to be complicated. When I actually got into it, I went, hang on, it's actually not that difficult because you're just thinking, it's almost like you're thinking in terms of sort of levels. So you go to the file level, you go to the table level, you go to the field level, and then at the field level, you have all this information, so write it out. And I, the XSLT does um, two different 
transforms in base elements. One of them, I, I convert the data into the FileMaker's native import format, which is, again, is really simple. It is record, field, record, you know, field, 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 record, field, field, field. So it's really sort of quite basic. Um, but I also use the XSLT, XSLT to transform in some cases into CSV files. So you can go from one format to another and the output doesn't have to be XML. So the output can be anything, it could be HTML, it could be just, you know, uh, a long, it could be a, a Word document. Um, so it could be any content at all. So I, I got in and I started and I started building things. I realized it was actually simpler than I thought. Um, and then, I've, you know, I've grown. And I've, obviously, my level of experience with it in terms of FileMaker is, is, um, is higher than when I started. But it's not difficult. And it's, it's something I think that most FileMaker developers could learn quite quickly if they, if they chose, if they, if they wanted to. Um, we, we use it a lot. We use it in other places now as well. We use it um, in, in um, one of our other tools, RESTFM, which is a web services thing. And again, it, we, you build these little things and you realize that there's, um, you know, you, you might put together this 30 line file that it looks complicated, but it's actually 28 lines of template to, to make sure you've got the right structures and then two bits of code that actually do the work. So you, all you really need to know is, you know, which two bits that you need to change to get completely different output. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't recall whether I got into it because I started playing with the XML and XSLT or whether I had learned something a little bit or I'd come across it and, and went, um, you know, maybe that's an interesting thing to try. Excellent. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad you learned all the XML stuff for us, got it into base elements, and figured out how to parse it. Um, we have a similar question about you had mentioned. You know, it's not that hard to learn, and anyone who really wants to can. We were talking about you know base elements is obviously a great tool for professional developers such as ourselves, um, but. I would also think it's a great tool for people who are just really starting out so that they can actually quickly see where they're going wrong by using it on a, you know, on a regular basis, you know, at the beginning of a session and at the end of a session, look at it and see what, what errors have crept in so they can go in and correct them. Would I be correct in that, Nick? Yeah, I um. I, I do think it has a broad appeal and, and that it does do a lot, um, you know, that gets quite technical. But just that concept of, oh, hang on, I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to change the way this script works. And so, you know, I need to, I need to think about it. And actually, you know what, when, when that, that button calls this script, I need to pass a parameter to this script. So you go, that's a new thing. I'm changing this script. And then you go, hang on, well, where else am I calling this script from? Because if I'm passing a parameter from this button, I need to know, you know, do these other places that I'm calling it from also need to pass a parameter, or do, you know, is it? Am I going to leave it as it is and 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 uh, have a an option for an empty parameter? So just that idea that you go, oh, hang on, where else am I using this? You know, if is it? Am I going to break something by changing this? So that's the thing that I use it, use it for most of all. When you when you you're working with your code and you, you figure out, hang on, this has got to work differently, and I've I've got to change something here. And then you go, well, hang on, what else is this going to affect? If I change this calculated field, you know, I need to know where it is on the layout because I've I've uh, got a new version of it. You know, it, it was a number, but now what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a version of it that transforms the number into a nice formatted. Um, uh, uh, currency, 
um, you, you know, using a particular currency converter. So that's a, you know, a calculated text field rather than a number field. So now I've got to find all the places I use that number field on layouts and change it to the nice, you know, calculated text field. So things like that, that you just come across. And I don't think there's any level of uh, FileMaker user that does that, that, um, you know, you don't have to be an advanced user. You can see those things. You can pick up on, on errors that you've made. You deleted a field accidentally. What did you break? You know, which scripts are now broken because you deleted something that you shouldn't have. Those sorts of things are at every level of the FileMaker solution. Where it really comes into its own is when things start getting bigger, when your solution starts getting to a size where you realize you can't keep the whole thing in your head at once. Um, there's no way that you can know all the places that things happen. And that's when you go, okay, look, I not only do I, you know, does this help me? I, I need some tool for me to be able to know what I'm doing. I can't just keep going on and, and developing the same way I used to. I need to be able to track. And whether it's base elements or whether it's some other analysis tool, um, they, they become critical at that point, I think. But yeah, I, I do think there's value at all levels of experience. Well, that's good. Uh, and I, th I tend to agree with you. We do uh, teach all the junior developers at Productive uh, one of the very first things they have to do is uh, go through all my base elements training, learn how base elements works so that they can do their first analysis after their first solution is done. In fact, one of the tests is how well did they clean up their file from bad code and unused referenced code and things like that. And of course, they have to use base elements for that. So we indoctrinate them really early on, on that particular solution. But speaking of other solutions, and we don't really want to dwell on doing this whole podcast as a comparison between one or the other, but I think it would be fair to mention at least a couple of the other contenders out there, uh, because it, Base Elements is not the only solution, and each one has its own attribute. I think, and I'll introduce this by first saying, using a solution is better than using none, potentially, um, but as to which one resonates with you, that really is up to you. And uh, the two that I want to mention, uh, give an honorable shout out to, are two that actually we uh, had a recent um, user group meeting in the Texas FM Pug uh, recently. And we were, uh, the three of us there, I was representing Base Elements. And then we had Vince Manano from Beeswax representing his tool called Inspector Pro, now in version 7. And then we have Dave, Dave Ramsey representing his solution called uh, FM Perception, which is essentially distributed and um, channeled through Geist, Todd Geist, Geist Interactive. So those are the the solutions that are out there, and each one has you know a thing that it does really really well, and something that um, in many cases is the decision why people want buy one over the other. Uh, I was privileged to see both of the other solutions demonstrated. You know, they each had about fifteen minutes to demonstrate it. And although I was familiar with both and have used both over the years, uh, it was good to be refreshed on that. And if you don't mind, I'll just take a minute and talk about each one and what makes each one better than the other. That way we don't put Nick on the spot necessarily. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you that I'll start with um, the Beeswax Inspector Pro solution. I think for that solution, we're talking about a very robust analysis tool with a lot, a lot of features and a beautiful interface, by the way. Uh, there's a really a lot happening with that solution. Some amazing things where there's even um, sort of a graph, real-time graph chart uh, visual tool that allows you to see scripts being fired in real time 
which is like almost mind-boggling to think about. But as a script is fired, you actually get to see it almost like neurons on a brain. You know, it's that kind of a graphic. You see the kind of the script traversing through its script steps as it goes from one place to another. I mean, things like it's pretty advanced in that way. Uh, it also has a robust find capability, robust reporting capability, and, and all of that. Um, so I really have nothing bad to say about it, except that um, I think it's a robust tool for advanced, maybe more for advanced developers, because it can do so much, and it seems like there's a lot to it. Uh, and like base elements, it does run within a FileMaker solution. However, um, raw find mode is not necessarily opened or invited. I, I believe finding within that solution, it's very capable of finding just about anything you'd want to find, but it's still not find mode the way base elements is traditional find mode. So uh, again, nothing really bad to say about it. Strong solution. And I know a lot of people are using it and are happy with it. The FM perception is uh, a tool unlike the other two in that it's not a FileMaker solution. It's actually a, you know, a compiled program. And that's part of the reason why it's so quick on its initial analysis. You can take a simple DDR um, and then almost immediately see results from, from that analyzed DDR. Uh, and it'll show up with just about all the things that you would want. Like it does make the cross references and the links and this and that. And I know, Michael, you might want to speak to it in just a minute because I know you've used it perhaps more than I have. Um, and then when you do get to a point where it's doing uh, a deeper analysis or uh, there are times where it may be a little slow while it's chewing on a large system, but it is immediate when it comes in. So much like uh, we were talking, sometimes you just want a quick answer, a quick question answered without having to wait a long time. The, um, the FM perception can really help with that. Uh, Michael, did you want to talk about any of the comparisons? Because you have a lot more experience with that than I do. I mean, I've used FM Perception, and it is incredibly clever. It's incredibly fast importing the DDR. And I don't have anything negative to say about it. The only um, the only reason I switched over to, to base elements was because I was fascinated to just explore the possibilities. And I saw, you know, took the, the, the course and productive computing and learned a lot about it in light features. But the key thing for me was the fact that it is a FileMaker database. And that is the only reason that realistically I switched from FM perception to base elements. Cost is about the same. They both do the same thing, but I just like the fact that it's all FileMaker and I don't have to, I don't have to learn something new. And I, there's, I think there's a fairly extensive learning curve with FM perception. Right. Okay. Well, excellent. Thanks for that insight. Um, I just want to make a quick side note that Base Elements does have a neat feature where you can host the Base Elements file or files on a server, and you can actually import your DDR into that hosted solution, and the entire DDR will run the analysis on the server independent of you having to wait for it. In other words, you can have the analysis run server-side, perform script on server, you will go about your business, continue programming, and then when the report is done, you can analyze it that way. So it doesn't hold your FileMaker hostage. And the other advantage of putting it on the server is the fact that you can share it with other developers. So that everyone can be singing from the same hymn book, so to speak, in terms of being on the same page with a large solution. Now that's really cool. 
because imagine what you would do is you would get done at the end of the day with your development. You're about ready to go home. You go, oh, yeah, let me put my database up in base elements, have it work on it overnight or, you know, it doesn't even take that long. But it, it, at that point, it's working. It doesn't matter how long it takes to import because you get all the data in the morning and you have you're only 24 hours behind. There's no reason. I don't think I don't think there's a great reason to have a DDR every hour or something like that. You really only 24 hours is is, is good enough to get the information usually out of it that you need. Yeah, precisely. And I believe you can even incorporate some additional scripting to quote unquote automate that. So for instance, if you wanted to get clever and maybe Nick can speak to this in a second, but if you wanted to have, let's say a robot machine uh, that takes a, a DDR from a given folder and have it automatically import and do your analysis on a regular and continual automatic basis, just like you described, John, where a, every 24 hours is good enough for me. Well, maybe you could automate that entire process. And I think Nick has left it open enough where you can call scripts within the files to actually do that. Yeah, the um, there is a there's there's no ability to automate um, producing the DDR out of out of FileMaker out of your own solution, which is a shame. I'd I'd love it if FileMaker added a generate DDR script step. Um, but there is yes, in once you've got that out, there is in base elements the ability to to um, have a little like a, like a robot machine that starts the process or have it happen on your machine and then have the whole rest of the import um, done on on. Um, uh, on the server, just just on the on the comparison and on the different different versions um, of of the DDR analysis tools, I really like the fact that there's a few of them out there, and we're all talking because I think it exposes people to the idea that there are these tools around and that they're good for your development. So I think the more people that come across them, the more people that learn uh, about the advantages of using a developer tool, whichever whether it's mine or any of the others, um, I think that helps us all as FileMaker developers. I do make a decision, you know, personally myself not to use the other tools because I feel like I just you know you, you're not I'm not here to try and you know compete with them we're all we've got different goals and different approaches and so therefore the you know I I keep you know I, the, the things that I do in base elements are, are things that I think work within my tool and uh, you know the things that work really well um, the only thing I know I mean we're talking about you're talking about imports and import times and things like that so that I, I haven't looked at um, I haven't even and looked at Inspector in ages, but the the idea behind FM perception is is sort of different from from both Base Elements and Inspector, in that instead of this idea of okay we've got all this data in the the DDR in, in XML and what we need to do is transform that and bring it into a FileMaker solution and that happens via actual you know literal FileMaker import script steps. Um, in uh, FM perception, he he treats the XML as a data source, so essentially his database is the XML. File. So there's no similar import process in that kind of step, but it also means that you there's there's things that I, that base elements and probably um, Inspector Pro does. So once we've brought in the data, we actually also do processing it on things. So we can actually take that data and then um, make you know understand things about it and use that understanding in other places. So one of the examples of that is that in base elements, once we've brought in the relationship graph, which is literally a list of table occurrences and relationships we can then look at that and process it and say which in in, in totality which table occurrences are joined to which other table occurrences so you know sort of which sort of sections of the graph um, are 
are connected. So you can look at a layout, for example, you could look at perhaps a, a field, like if you have a field that does a, a, a auto enter lookup, and you could say, is the field source and the field destination here for the lookups, are they actually connected or not? So you can learn things about it once you've done the processing. And I think that's one of the, the big differences between using the, the XML as a data source and doing you know lots of deep processing like base elements and, and I'm, I'm sure Inspector does, is that there's more that we can learn. So I think that's the cool thing about having these options is that you know we do have things like um, inspector where you can get really short quick answers and then we also have things like base elements where you can go really deep and get lots of detail and lots of uh, technical things and you can do that within filemaker so you know i i'm i'm glad we've got lots of options not just not just one or two yeah it is good to have options i'll just bring up one other quick point the effort perception i think doesn't really track history because it uses the xml as a source and that is sort of what drives the entire product um, whereas the Inspector Pro and Base Elements do track history. What that means is as you bring in analysis from Tuesday, you can compare it with analysis on Wednesday. In other words, you can have any number of versions stored in your history and then compare one against the other. And that's that's a big deal when you store it in a FileMaker solution. And it can be a big deal for FileMakers trying to understand their solutions over time or to recollect, geez, what did I do three weeks ago and how was that script created back then? Because I don't have a record of it. Well, in Base Elements, you can actually keep a record of it. I need it because I can't what I did this morning. I, I know what you mean there, uh, Michael. Hey, I was wondering if I could interject a question I just came up with. Um, you mentioned, Nick, that the DDR XML really hasn't been updated or touched in a while. But what they're doing a lot of work with, and I've talked to Robert Holsey and Rick Coleman about this and interviewed them about this, is they're doing a lot of work on the new Save as XML feature. Is it possible um, that future versions of base elements might use this new export of XML? Because it gives a lot of information about the database. In fact, enough that you can compare two versions of your FileMaker database to each other and see what the differences are. Have you explored that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've already started writing um, XSLT to transform that XML into into base elements. So if you know, if we wanted to, we could essentially just switch out one transform engine for another, or we could have both in base elements, and you could choose your data source. Um, the the save as XML they've designed for a really different purpose than the DDR. So the purpose is that you can take that XML and use it to recreate your solution. So um, one of the things that the DDR is missing um, that's never been in it and probably won't get added to it is things that uh, is uh, layout parts, for example. So you have no idea of, of which parts are on a layout and whether or not um, uh, you know you got a summary op summary part or a body part or a header part, things like that. So you literally cannot recreate layouts from that information. That's about all that's missing. There's a couple of other little minor things that are quibbles, but but not significant. Um, but when they designed this save as XML, the idea was it's a complete total documentation of everything in a solution. So your first thought is, well, why you know why don't we use that? That's much more accurate. One of the things that they've then left out of that that is in the DDR is that. In a calculation, you've got a you know complex calculation that uses a custom function, that uses a plugin, that uses a bunch of other functions, some field references, all those sorts of things. In the DDR, those calculations are broken out into their parts. So each 
uh, field reference or each each uh, table occurrence reference or a, a custom function reference or a plugin reference, they're all broken out into individual parts. Whereas in the save as XML, because it's just saying, look, here is a big calculation, you can recreate the calculation based on having the whole text of it. Um, it we don't need to do that. So at the moment, that ability to to pull all of the individual bits out of a calculation is is critical. You know, to be able to say, hey, look, you know, I can I can know where a field is being used. That's you know really critical to being able to analyze your solution properly. So that's not in the new save as XML. It is in the DDR. So the only alternative to that would be to write a calculation parser. Um, you know that that we have some way of going through text, literal text string and saying which bits are which, is this a field? Um, that would be a, a complex process. Um, the uh, Dave, the guy who's the inspector, um, uh, uh, FM perception writer actually has had a go at that. I don't know how successful he's, he's been on it. I haven't looked at it, um, but it, FileMaker doesn't provide any documentation about how the calculation engine works. I feel like it's one of those things that was it was never written down and it works the way it works just because it works. Um, but you can do weird things in FileMaker. You can name things as, you know, uh, put spaces in things. You can put a space at the end of a field or, you know, um, you know, custom function. There's all sorts of odd things like that that you can do. So it's a really challenging process and there's no documentation for what it would look like. Um, so yeah, at some point in the future, um, we may use the save as XML, but at the moment it doesn't give us one really critical piece that we want. Um, I'm also considering ways that we could combine them both. So for example, um, the layout objects in the save as XML are a, a fair bit more detailed and they're also given unique IDs in the save as XML. So in that sense, you could say, okay, look, you know, you moved this object. I, I have no reference between two versions of a solution currently in the DDR to say which object is which. You know, you've just got to assume that that, that one is the same. But if you move it, did you delete it? Did you add a new object? I don't, don't actually know. Whereas in the save as XML, each object on a layout's given a unique ID. So I could say, you know, I know exactly what you did. You shifted this object six pixels to the left, for example. Um, so there's a lot more detail like that that we may be able to use. The save as XML is, is what they're building these um, add-ons that are, have come out in um, FileMaker 19.1. So they, they're using that same structure and that same uh, interface to be able to do things like adding bits to a, to a solution. So you can just take the save as XML, uh, the save as XML kind of content and go, squirt this into my FileMaker solution and it'll add uh, fields, it'll add tables, it'll add records, it'll add scripts, it'll add layout objects. They're all stored in XML. Um, the next step, I think, of, of the that technology is the ability to um, then modify a solution. So we may have down the track some future ability to say here, version one of your solution and here's version two and then apply a whole list of changes. So those changes might be additions, they might be deletes, they might be things that are modified. Um, so that would be really cool. So that's sort of what FileMaker is talking about with this Save As XML. And so I think their priorities are not around, you know, DDR type analysis, their priorities around this, you know, moving and, and adding um, add-ons and, and potentially, you know, modifying and making changes to files as well. So I want to make some quick comments on that. Number one, I learned something today about 
the distinction between a DDR and the Save as XML, uh, the big takeaway for me is the DDR has specific called out dependencies listed. Here are the dependencies of this particular calc, and it's broken into these dependencies. In other words, we're given a list of the same things that the calc engine keeps track of when it goes to evaluate a calc and when we push OK. And that comes out on the list. You've brought it into base elements, and now you have those dependencies. The save as XML does not do that because it doesn't care about dependencies. It just cares about the calc itself. What is the text inside the calc? Because I need to recreate it either in an add-on or a future version. So with that in mind, if I use a custom graphic, let's say I put a picture of a dog inside my layout, my assumption is that the save as XML actually stores my binary dog and comes along for the ride when I insert it somewhere else, or does it? Um, I do believe it does. If you've got a, yes, if you've got a layout, well, actually, I don't know what the save as XML does. Um, I, I don't even off the top of my head know what the DDR does. Um, I, I do know we strip out a, a, a bunch of things because we're not bringing them into base elements, which are um, uh, things like the binary for a, a, a print step. So when you do a print or a page setup, um, all of that information about how that print details have worked aren't part of the DDR, they're saved in, the, in a binary, which is related to the, the platform that you're on. So the, the binary structure for Windows is different from the binary structure for Mac. Um, and so those things take up a lot of space. So we actually just, we produce a, a slimmed down version of the XML that doesn't have them in them because it just, imp it increases the um, size of the file and therefore makes the import slower if you, if you leave them in. Um, but off the top of my head, I can't even think whether images are on layouts or not on on uh, in the DDR or not. I'm not sure. Can't say. Okay. Well, this it's more of a theoretical question than maybe a practical one, but it is something that just crossed my mind. Now, speaking, um, if if you if you guys don't have any further questions, I'm just going to go right into this other thing called a base elements plugin, and which is not the base element solution that we've been talking about for the last several uh, moments here. Nick, my first question is, how much confusion does this cause you as an entrepreneur <laughs> to have a plugin called base elements? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, it, to, to give the, the, the background, um, part of what we do in the, in the DDR, and originally the... Um, that all, the original versions of, of base elements would do imports using um, uh, XSLT, and and that's the standard script step, and you can you can do that um, without any troubles. And what I've tried to do over time is each time I look at it, is that I look at ways can I make this faster? Um, and it turns out running the XSLT part of the process is is one of the quickest steps. Um, one of the slower steps is creating records in in FileMaker. So the import process needs to create lots of records. So then I thought, well, you know, how can I do that quicker? And and what I've done is do things like um, move the XSLT out from instead of happening in FileMaker out to um, a, the a plugin, 
and the plugin can do it and then like I say it can transform into different formats in, in in lots of cases I use CSV as the import format because it turns out CSV is the fastest thing that FileMaker can import um, faster than um, uh, in, uh, XML files. So at lots of points I've gone, okay, you know, I want to be able to do things. I want to be able to do, um, in old versions of FileMaker, you couldn't um, have calculated dialog boxes and I wanted to have calculated dialog boxes um, so I could do translations, different languages in base elements. Um, and so that didn't exist and I needed a plugin to do that. And also I wanted to put up a select file dialog. So um, in old versions and I um, still in, in, in FileMaker, being able to do that in a way that you that I wanted doesn't exist. So there's been a few things all the way along that needed plugins to, to work. Um, originally I was using, I don't know, people may have heard of them, Troy plugins. So Oh yeah, of I needed, course. Yeah, I needed... Uh, Troy file and then Troy dialogue and then I realized that I also needed um, his URL um, uh, thing but I, I realized that I'm using like two functions out of each plugin and so having three different plugins that I need to manage and keep track of and, and register and all that seemed to be a complexity I didn't I didn't want so I hunted around for some options and in the end I got someone to to write me a, a plugin that does just what I want and nothing else and I thought gee you know it's just for base elements it's got you know six functions in it I'd you know I don't this isn't a this isn't a product by itself. I'll just, you know, stick it up on GitHub, you know, open source it and give it away. And if anyone else finds it useful, then then great. And so, you know, the next thing happens and, you know, it's the base elements plugin because it's the plugin that's used inside base elements and, you know, no one else would be interested. And then, you know, I started adding more functions to it and then we started using it for other things inside other tools. So I started adding more and more functions to it and then other people liked it and they, you know, contributed code and they added more functions and the next thing you know I've got this huge big long you know complicated list of functions and, and people are using the plugin all over the place and I thought geez you know I've, I've made things confusing I need to rename this and then um, this was a you know a few years back now um, the FileMaker contacted me and said look we're going to use your plugin in some of the um, uh, training materials so for certification they used to release uh, um, some some you know training guides and your plugin is just going to be used as the example for um, you know installing um, uh, installing plugins and, and and using them within your solution and how that how that all works and I thought oh that's cool but they're going to be calling this base elements plugin and that training material is going to be produced in you know I think it was like you know six you know, nine months time, and then it's going to survive for another two, three years. And I thought I can't change the name of it now um, because it's actually, you know, it's going to be in, you know, FileMaker official materials for the next three years. So, so I thought, well, actually, I probably need to stick with this. So, short answer, yes, it does cause confusion. People, you know, th you think about, you know, what is Base Elements? The plugin is, you know, is that that's part of Base Elements, the developer tool. I kind of feel like I'm stuck with it now, and, and we just have to ride the the wave of confusion that comes with it. Um, so yeah, the the plugin is a it's a free open source plugin. It you know you can just download it. You don't have to register it. Um, it doesn't cost anything. You can use it in all your solutions. You don't have to pay me. Um, you don't have to register that you're using it or um, register the plugin, anything like that. So, um, yeah, it's it's just become one of those things that um, grew beyond its uh, its original goal. Hmm. Excellent, fascinating story, and I totally understand where you are with that. And for those of you who haven't used the Base Elements plugin, it has a lot of neat 
and nifty built-in features that'll solve a lot of problems and potentially even have you avoiding having to buy some commercially sold plugins, um, which is strange coming from me who sells commercial plugins uh, under productive computing. But at the end of the day, our hat is always with the developer first and then you know, our own product second. Uh, whatever helps the community grow and thrive and enjoy the platform is is the key here. So, and I think a base, the base elements plugin itself is an absolute definitive definition of a community tool in a sense, helping the community it is open source. Uh, you, you even still expose the code for those who want to tinker with the plugin and change it to their own uh, needs. So... Yeah, I mean, there's there's not many FileMaker developers who are um, uh, into Xcode and and you know C plus plus things like that and compiling and you know Vue or Visual Studio on on, on Windows. Um, but it, it has been useful for a, a few people. We've added some really sort of esoteric things into the plugin that someone just said, "Look, I really want this. Could you could you know if I contribute the code, can you add it in?" And we said, "Yeah, no worries." Um, so there's some um, functions in there to do with matrices and, and, and cross products of matrices. And I don't even understand what they do, but someone really wanted them. They don't exist in FileMaker native. Um, and so we were able to add them in, which I think is really cool. Nice. Excellent. Well, speaking of other things you do, uh, obviously building the base elements plugin and the base elements solution is not the only thing you do. Are, are you guys, you guys are located in, there's two locations for your company in Australia, right? Brisbane and Melbourne? Yeah. Brisbane and, and Melbourne. So, uh, you know, on the big map of Australia, Br- Melbourne's sort of bottom um, on the right-hand side and Brisbane's more up the top. Um, but, uh, yeah, myself, I'm, I'm based out of Melbourne. Um, if you've seen us at uh, DevCon or met, um, come up to the booth the last few years, you would have met Salvatore, who works for me. Um, he uh, He's uh, based out of, out of Brisbane as well. So, yeah. Okay, excellent. And... I would imagine that your main source of revenue is actually custom development for customers all over the world. Yeah, it's been an interesting path, you know, doing these tools. We we we're still a majority, um, uh, you know, custom development shop. Um, there's uh, five of us now full time doing doing FileMaker. Um, the the tools are really something that I do, um, and um, you know, we we. We sort of, as a, as a business, we've always thought about, you know, doing um, uh, off-the-shelf solutions, but I always pictured in my head that would be a, you know, a, a niche industry product rather than a, a tool to FileMaker developers. And really, we, we wrote this because we thought, you know, it's a thing that we want and, you know, we, you know why don't we sell it? Because, you know, other people want it too. And, and if you've got an income from it, then you can, you know, it's it's much uh, easier to justify continuing and working on it and keeping it up to date and uh, you know iterating it for new versions and things like that. Um, but it's it's been fascinating from a, a business perspective from for us uh, having this tool. It it really took us, you know, I, I said before it was released in in two thousand and six. Um, it, it sort of took ten years before, in terms of its you know revenue, that it justified even building itself. You know, pay, you know looking after itself so it took us a long time for it to be um you know broad enough and, and sold enough for it to you know even start paying for itself um but it's been fascinating from us as a perspective and i i would 
suggest to every FileMaker developer out there that they take one of the things that they do well and, and, and put them out into the world, you know, whether it's a product or whether it's a freebie or whether it's even just talking about, you know, the technical solutions that you've done. Because we're, as a we're, as developers now, as, as FileMaker developers, we are known worldwide, you know, the base elements is used in, you know, you know 30, 40, 50 different countries. So, that, you know, we, we get our reputation from this as a tool so it's it's not just for us a product that we sell that we generate revenue with it's also something that builds you know reputation and and builds our our knowledge and we go to uh clients and we say hey you know we're going to analyze your tool using base elements and by the way it's our solution so it's great for us in terms of it's a thing that um you know you we do all this consulting the consulting says you know we're going to need tools to make the consulting work so we we build the tools and i think if we did one or the other neither of them would be done as well you know we we wouldn't have the we wouldn't know what base elements needed if we weren't doing the consulting and the um consulting is the thing that drives base elements so they they do feed off each other and i i did a um a session about um, um whether your solution um should be an, an app for the the recent uh, Claris Engage, the online thing, um, and it's just sort of that idea of you know do I do I have a product yet or is this something I should talk about? And I talked about the various things that doing products in some way um, have, have benefits for for all developers. So I you know I, if there's any developer out there that's going you know I I need something and I wrote a little cool thing that you know works really great for me. I think people should get out there and talk about it. And I think Mark, you'd probably feel the same. You know, you you do consulting, but you also do these products. And I think that the two feed off each other. I think it's it's valuable for any sort of um, FileMaker developer to talk about the things they do really well. Well, I think we all share information, and I think this is one of the great things about the community. Has always been that way, and. Um, you know, John and I both put a lot of videos and stuff like that. And Mark, of course, has, has the university, so he's doing a lot of content. But one of the things that I want to reach out and say to our listeners, if you've got something that you think is a really good technique, for God's sake, write about it. Don't just assume that everybody knows what you know. Publish it. Mm, exactly. Share it. Yep. I would say, Michael, I've even seen people go further, and this is non-FileMaker-like, that they'll, I got teased one time a long time ago, they sent me a file that was locked and said, hey, I bet you don't know how to do this. Um, you know, if you've got a technique, it only makes you better if you teach somebody else how to do it. Keeping it proprietary is just not the best way to serve the FileMaker market or to serve yourself. Well, and it's also the fact that you know, you come up with, you show somebody a technique and they go, wow, that's really cool. I wonder what else I could do with it. And it and now people start thinking and you get this, that simple idea all of a sudden becomes this incredibly useful tool as you happen with your base elements plugin, Nick. Um, it's just, yeah, absolutely. Go, yeah. Well, what if, what if, I wonder if, you know, and that's how we all learn because, as FileMaker developers, we think outside the box. It's a primary requisite skill. We have to have it. And the more we can do that and the more the community can do it and share those ideas, the better it is for everybody. And, and I, th I think the FileMaker community is particularly um, 
open in in that sort of way. You know, to, we're we're talking before about you know the competitor products for for base elements, and I know, happen to know Vince um, and and Dave really well. I you know met them both. We've talked about DDR issues. We've you know gone to FileMaker and said you know can you help us out with things, and so we we get along very well, and um, we. We see each other as competitors, but we see that we're we're all you know helping the community and bringing things to light. And the plugin has also been one of those things where that's been a, a case of you know, hang on, this is what we want the product to do, and then and then you know the the product has has grown because of it. So you know the the base elements plugin was not the first, but it had a you know a whole bunch of you know URL functions, and now we have a really detailed insert from URL script step. Um, base elements started doing JSON, and then now we have a you know JSON functions native within in the in the tool. Base elements started doing file operations, and again, it, base elements wasn't the first to do that, but now we have some native file options. So all of these things push the platform to do better. So the the more that we the more code we put out there, the more things we talk about. We're actually influencing the direction of the the platform as well. Um, they they notice these things. You know, one of the uh, actual developers in FileMaker, uh, Clay Mackle, who's uh, um, been around and, and building and coding FileMaker for a long time, actually said at, at one of the um, sessions at DevCon that part of the things, one of the things they'd added, that I think it was the JSON stuff, was based on code that was in base elements and based on the same ideas that was in base elements. So it, they do reference things that the community, uh, community are doing and they do take advantage of those and, and then drive, use that to drive the, the, the platform. So again, it can be something as, as as selfish as I want. I want to see FileMaker, the platform doing this. And so I'm going to talk about how I made it work, even though, you know, I did this complicated thing to make this happen. Um, it could be made much simpler if it was in the platform. And then, you know, that feeds into the, the sort of things that, that Clarice are thinking about. Just uh, if I could interject two things here. Clay Mackle, I believe, has been there since the very beginning i believe he came over from apple to claris and he knows literally everything about filemaker and the fact that he's been there for 30 years and he's still getting information from us developers just shows how committed he is to the platform um, but what i really wanted to say was let's go back to the save as xml and the, and the question that mark asked and about the the jpeg and so i i've been sitting here in the background doing it and put a jpeg into a brand new uh, filemaker 19.1.2 file and the save as xml definitely stores it in base 64 it's definitely in there and the ddr couldn't care less that it was even in there it's not even doesn't exist in the ddr so just wanted to kind of clear that up a little bit john thanks so much for your on the fly research i love it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there is um there is a little bit to that as well in the um in terms of what the how FileMaker does that. So you when you store an image, essentially what FileMaker does is it keeps uh, a reference to that image. So if you reuse the same image in lots of places, uh, it's not actually keeping you know three or four copies. It's actually saying here I've got my image library, and then when you use it on the layout, it, it refers to it. So I believe the save as XML, and it, you know, if you've got it there, you'll be able to confirm this. It has like a, a a library, I think it calls it reference, and and then so then it can refer to images out of the library, and then. Um, use them wherever they need to be. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely one of those things that's been there since FileMaker, I believe, 2.0. You can even take 
an image in a container field and compare it and just like you would do text. It's, it's, it's one of those hallmarks of, of how FileMaker is designed has always been that way. Guys, that, that brings up another point. I understand if you copy and paste an image from one layout to another, there'll be an internal reference, a library, and only one example of that exists in the system. I get that. What if you were to take one image and import it into layout one, then go to layout two and re-import that same image into layout two? Does it, is it smart enough to do a bit compare? Okay. It still knows. It still knows. Okay. Because it, It's amazing. I know. <laughs> that's good to know because I've always wondered that. Like if I import it again, will it, will it you know, think it's a brand new image or not? So it sounds like it, it sees it as the same image, which is great. Yeah, I would imagine it probably compares it at, a, at you know the base sixty four version of it and just does a comparison. And says, "Hey, this is exactly the same thing, pixel for pixel, or vector for vector, or however graphics are stored." Don't get me started because I don't know anything about it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, totally, totally makes sense. So now might be a good time to quickly talk about how Nick and I started on this idea of making a course for this. And you know, Nick, you can. You were there with me, so I'll just start. I, it was at a DevCon. It was sort of between sessions or something like that. And yep. Nick probably came up and said, how's it going? And I said, how's it going? And I said something about, I probably said something about, I'm excited about the university and some of the things we're doing. And knowing me, I probably said something like, hey, we should do a course on base. Or I might have said, mm. you know, I do base elements videos. And even long before the university, I was making base elements videos for my guys. And... Uh, my guys and girls, I should say, because now we've got a bunch of female developers too. Um, and I and I essentially told you that, and then I showed you a couple of videos way back in the day, right? Yeah, yeah. Is that is that how you remember it? Yeah, I, th I think it was it was yours, and you. I think you offhandedly just went, "Oh, we should do a course," and I'm like, "Yeah, we should do a course. That would be great." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So this is the first time we've ever done a course on a product that isn't either ours or something directly from Claris. So it's, I have to admit, it's kind of an experiment. But um, it's been a good collaboration so far. It, the idea was just birthed from, well, wait a minute. I want the university to be more than just about productive computing. I want it to be to help, you know, the developers out there. Really, that's, that's really the purpose of it. So I want to take, if possible, take the best products available or the ones that I'm really familiar with and, you know, make a course when it makes sense to do so. And so Nick agreed, and so that that was it. We just started it, and it took a while to get me started, and we finally did it. And um, now we have a little bit of a cross-promotion going on where if they take the course, um, they get reduced pricing on base elements. If they buy base elements, they get reduced pricing on the course. There's a little bit of cross-marketing there that's happening. But uh, you know, so far, so good, and I'm just so happy to to be able to actually have a course on a product I love using so much. Well, it definitely... Um inspired me to uh to put my money where where my mouth is so to speak right michael wasn't it your story is that you took the course kind of to learn the basics but it ended up being something more well i didn't realize that um, base elements did so much and the one thing that we haven't covered which i think is fantastic is the ability to just save snippets of code, scripts, calculations, layout objects, all of that internally within base elements, and then just be able to copy and paste those into uh, other solutions that you're working on. So when you have a, a script, for example, that you use over and over again, 
instead of trying to remember where it is, store it in base elements, and then you know where it is. Yes, and that's called the clip manager. And it's it's actually in a file that's somewhat independent of base elements, but it comes bundled with the solution. But Nick, the clip manager wasn't birthed at the same time. That came much later in the process, didn't it? Yeah, so... Um, I mean, every FileMaker developer will know you can copy and paste things around um, within FileMaker itself. Um, you can copy and paste fields or scripts or um, uh, layout objects or uh, custom functions. And it, they've actually grown. Each sort of major release seems to have added another thing that is copy and pasteable. Um, and interestingly, what it's doing in, internally is it's actually putting an XML, like a very similar to the DDR version of whatever you've copied. So if you copy a field, um, you can actually go to the clipboard and it's a bit obfuscated, but it's possible to see the text of, of what's on the clipboard. And it is just literal text of, of the XML. So you know, what we started doing in base elements was this idea, well, hang on, we've got all the data that's in here. Um, we can recreate that XML and, and and copy things. So you were, you were mentioning before, Mark, about how you can use base elements to keep a history of your, uh, uh, of your solution. So you go through and you start changing a script and you realize you've you've taken this script and you've complete, completely broken it, you, you've got to put it back to whatever it happened to be or you accidentally deleted something, you can go into base elements and, and pull out the DDR from last week and go to that script and you just literally hit Command-C or Control-C and copy and then you go back to your solution and hit paste and, and copy the, the details, whether it's the script steps or whether it's the uh, scripts, whether it's a collection of scripts. You know, if you're on a list view you, and you've got three scripts in your found set and you hit command C, um, it will copy those three scripts, put them on the clipboard, and then you can paste them into your other solution. Um, so we started doing doing that and then we realized that, hang on, there's a little bit more here that we could also be doing. We could be, you know, keeping track of of things that you're using. So the some of the more recent versions have added a clip manager. Um, and we're using the feature in, I forget which version it was introduced, but you have the ability to have a dynamically calculated um, data source. So essentially your data source, instead of being a path to a file, is a global variable. So what we do is we have a base elements preferences file, which is a FileMaker file, um, and that lives in your preferences folder. So that contains all your clips. So then when you go later on to say, okay, look, I've got, you know, base elements and I'm, you know, the way I work with base elements is I have multiple copies of it. So I, I, don't, I don't keep it on server. I keep them locally, but I'll have one for each client, for example, and then I'll have like my main development one. So I can open up three or four different versions of base elements at a time. I can, you know, use that one for that client. I can keep that history over there. I can have a new version over here and a development version over there. But my clip manager is actually stored in, in preferences. So no matter which version I'm, and which copy of base elements I'm using, um, I um, my, my clips are all kept and, and they persist between versions and, and also between updates of base elements. So that way I can, you know, copy things and I can keep it track, you know, that custom function that I use a lot, I can keep that there or I can move things around in between solutions. And again, it's the same same thing that you can come into base elements and it doesn't matter where you are. If you've copied something out of your solution, you come into base elements, doesn't matter where you are, hit command V for paste and it goes, okay, I'm pasting something that is a, 
uh, a FileMaker object. So therefore, go over to the Clip Manager, uh, intercept that paste, and open up the Clip Manager and create a new clip um, with whatever I was pasting off the clipboard. So yeah, it, it it's really handy. It's again one of those sort of little known features. Um, it's one of those things that as a starting developer you might not pay a lot of attention to, but as you get a bit deeper and you doing more work with base elements or getting more deep into your solution, it can be quite handy. Is it possible to copy two types of clipboard objects? For instance, is it possible in one command to copy a custom function while simultaneously copying a script step? Probably not, right? Um, look, you couldn't do it out of FileMaker itself. Um, you know, you can't. You can't have selected both things. Um, the the t the the way that clipboard works is actually a little bit. Where people sort of think the clipboard is a is a sing, single thing, but it's not. What the clipboard contains is a list of formats and then um, the content for each format. So even when you copy uh, something in in FileMaker, um, there might be three or four different formats, and they're mostly different types of text. So the format might be um, Unicode text, for example. Um, but um, each format has a specific meaning in FileMaker. So it's the format that determines what type of object it is that you've got on the clipboard. So um, you could, in theory, put two different formats on the clipboard. Um, the base elements doesn't let you, the base elements plugin doesn't let you do that. So uh, that's another thing that the base elements plugin does is it lets you interact with the clipboard. You can both get things off the clipboard and put things onto the clipboard using the using the plugin, and that's what we use in, in Base Elements, the developer tool. Um, so you, you could, it, it's entirely possible for the clipboard to contain multiple formats of a whole bunch of different types, um, but it's, it's not particularly useful. You could, if you had a clip manager that understood that, then yeah, you could, you could go, um, you could move things around like that. But yeah, it only really makes sense to do one type at a time. Right, and that's the allocation. I think the question is, Mark, why would you want to do that? Well, um, I was introducing the notion of where FileMaker might be going, and Nick hinted at it towards the beginning of the podcast, which is we want to insert or inject schema into a live solution for the purposes of updating it. And when you do that, it's not just one type of schema, it's all the schema. It's layouts, scripts, script steps, and everything. So much like when you add an add-in today or an add-on, um, you're not just getting script steps, you're getting the whole shebang. You're essentially getting a FileMaker file injected into another FileMaker file all at once. So I'm thinking what Nick has created here and what the clipboard has offered us for many years is really this the baby steps towards where we might go, which is direct and full and complete uh, code insertion into an existing file uh, without all the drama, including, you know, relationship graphs and where things are positioned and all that. Again, I'm just dreaming here for a second and just realizing that we really are talking about the same thing, just in smaller baby steps, bite-sized pieces. Yeah. And it, it's going to be really cool when, 
you know, Claris gets the the last parts of this whole process together because it's it. There's going to be the option for us to say, hey, here are two versions of the solution that you've run. You know, a DDR or a save as XML for. Um, okay, I've got you know a hundred people out there with version one of my solution. Here you go. Here's an updater file. Uh, run this, and now you've got version two. And I haven't you know moved data around. I haven't replaced their files. I haven't done anything like that. It's just you know. Uh, a whole process and be, because it's xml we can then start bringing in tools that you know help us um you know do this do these sorts of things automatically so i i'm i'm really excited about it they there's no indication yet of of when this save as xml is going to expand to do things like um modifications but that's the the language that the claris have been talking about for a long time and that's the direction they're going so that will be really cool yeah yeah i'm excited about it in fact it feels like they've been laying the groundwork for years starting with layout themes making the layout components xml capable that kind of thing that whole thing had to be really reinvented from scratch in order to make all any and all code transferable in, in a way that's consistent and fast. Because um, so much of FileMaker was constructed with one component here and one component there, and they each have their own constructs. So they needed to level the playing field and say, okay, XML is going to be the language of this program as far as moving schema around. So and when you think about this, guys, the DDR, when it first came out, that was really the beginnings of defining what the database is. And now with the save as XML, that's sort of like, okay, now here's the bucket to hold all the water. That's This is your mechanism to move the parts around. And then, like Nick was saying, maybe in future versions, we're going to get additional, you know, here's how you move entire swaths of your system around. Um, and it would be very cool because think about today's modern day programs uh, on the web, there's files that you move and you upload to a web server. That's how you update a web app. For compiled applications, you actually have to recompile the application and redistribute the code. Um, this is sort of the best of everything. It's sort of like direct injection on a live system. Now, I don't know if that would be the best practice at the end of the day. Would we, would we all encourage each other to just directly inject schema? But I don't see why we wouldn't because so much of us are already doing that now. It's called defined fields. And you know, or defined database. So I don't know. I just think about these things a lot, and in terms of how that's going to change the landscape, especially for people like us who have these vertical market solutions, and you have one solution that needs to be updated several times across several people. And in fact, Nick, you're no stranger to this. You've created a whole solution that does this, and I don't know if you're still selling it or not. But talking about vertical market solutions and updating, man, you no one knows this better than you. Yeah, look, we um we built a tool. We we do we do no longer sell it. We, it it's um it, the the website for it redirects back to the just the Goya website. Um, it was called Refresh FM. <clears throat> so it was the idea that hang on, how do we automate this process of going from one version to another? And at the at that time, and and it still is the case today. <clears throat> um, the only way to do that was to go and and import data from one solution to another. So I did this with a, uh, a solution that we had. We were going to do some upgrades on a solution and we couldn't, you know, we need to make sure that it happened as quickly as possible. And they had a hundred different tables, you know, they had a dozen different files. It was a mountain of data. Um, so we had to 
have a way that we could import that and make sure that we knew exactly what the import was doing and that when we ran it the first time it was it was going to run the second time and so we actually wrote a little tool to do that and it, it was pretty cool i i love doing the demo for it because it actually automated the interface so it was opening you know defined fields and uh, sort of managed database and and adding table occurrences and things and using scripting to do all of that and so you could you could do this demo and, and launch it and it would just start you know hands off and and it would start building a filemaker file for you um and what you got out of that was a you know a, a import that you knew exactly what was happening um we stopped selling it because the data migration tool that that filemaker released does the same thing just via the command line so um you know we that's the that's a much better way it has some features in it that even we couldn't do back in the day um but it's also uh i feel like it's going about solving the problem the wrong way the the right way to solve that problem is not to migrate data from from one solution to another the right way to solve that problem like you're saying is to upgrade your solution from version one to version two and leave the data in in, in place so um you know it's a it's a good first step um it there were some people that absolutely loved that tool and and ourselves included um that we used it uh, on lots of different things we'd use it for upgrades all the time um but again yeah what what the hopefully the, the plans and the direction that filemaker are going um uh, with that is is the right way with this um solution upgrades yeah, excellent. I thought what we do now is maybe turn our attention to a few practical things that Base Elements allows you to do, so that developers can kind of understand what it is that um, you know put in practical terms. So I've listed a few here that I want to call out, and and feel free, Nick, to just jump in and talk about them. But uh, for instance, the ability to find all items that are broken, and we say, well, what what can possibly be broken in a FileMaker sol solution? And, and a perfect example, I know you guys have stumbled upon this, is like you'll create a button that is tied to a script, no problem. Then later on, you decide to delete the script, but you forget to delete the button. So now the button is orphaned, and now the button has nowhere to go. It's just a button that goes nowhere. And you, you, get, that, uh, you get that dialogue, the script cannot be found. And by the way, FileMaker will not warn you. It warns you about some kind of things that you're, some dependencies, but not that particular one. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it, it, the other one that is um, a perfect example of that is if you go to delete a field, um, FileMaker will warn you if that field is used by other fields um, or in, in some cases by other scripts. But if the field is used in another file, it, it, it won't list that and won't warn you. Right, because it's outside the scope of its purview um, as far as the evaluation engine of when you're deleting things. So the with the, with base elements, it goes through the entire system and looks at every object for missing and broken items, which can be hugely helpful. You know, and maybe it's not so important if you're maybe a solopreneur making your own solution for recipes. Okay, maybe it's not that important that your button works or not. But when you're developing solutions for customers and or, you know, professional solutions that we sell as a solution, you definitely don't want to deliver something that has errors in it or broken things. So we find that that's like 101, right out of the box, find out anything that's broken. The next thing, uh, which I think is also just as important, is our items that are unreferenced, which means that they are no longer being, potentially no longer being used in the solution. 
Now, maybe Nick, you have a couple of examples of what a great idea of what an unreferenced item is. Yeah, I mean, you, you gave the example before of you delete a script and the button breaks, but the, the, the reverse of that is, is something that you probably do all the time. You know, you create the layout, you create the, the, the button, then you create a script for it, and at you, you, some point you go along later on, you go, actually, no, I'd, I don't need that, that button on the layout, so you just delete the button. And now you've just got this orphan script. It's not broken. It's just sitting there and it never gets used because you, you just, you know, you change direction with how your interface design was going and you no longer need that button on the layout. And we do that all the time. You know, we create things. We, um, you know, we, we create layouts. We try things out. We do new things. We adjust how the code works. Over time, solutions grow cruft. You know, they, they add things and, and things get added and then you change your mind and then you do something different. So there are plenty of times when you think, oh, hang on, you know, I've, I've got to make a change. You know, I'm going to change the the header on all my layouts and you realize you've got 30 layouts well hang on are you using all of those layouts like do you need to change the header on 30 layouts or are you actually still only uh, there's only 10 of them that are still being used so getting rid of things that aren't being used it, it's not just a case of you know cleaning up and keeping things neat and tidy it actually can save you a lot of time if you want to make a change across the whole solution but you know half the solution is not being used well you know you don't want to have to to double your workload just because you don't want to get rid of things that you're no longer using. So, um, you know, un unreferenced things can be um, can be there for a reason. You know, you, we we do things like create dev layouts that don't get referenced anywhere in the solution. That you know, we want to keep track of things. But it can also be a great way to say, okay, look, you know, get my solution down to its most optimal. Um, you know, uh, getting rid of an index field, for example, um, that's no longer being used will reduce your import times and record creation times so you can you can really do you can look at things that you know performance things that are uh, happening in your solution and say you know this having a nice clean solution making sure everything in it is is there and and needs to be there um not only you know is getting rid of clutter but also can be really handy nick you go the extra step in the product where you actually also identify potential performance issues are those a derivative of unindexed calcs mostly when you identify something that's performance ridden? Yeah, look, there's a few, um, and I don't have the, the the list in front of me. And performance is a really tricky thing in 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 FileMaker. Performance and how a solution performs um, is a can often just be a combination of the runtime, you know, what you're doing at the time, what what record you're on, what layout you're on, um, whether you've got a large found set or a small found set, you know, all those those kind of things. But there's a few little things that you can pick out that goes, you know, that, that you can say, hey, look, this is a thing that, that is it, we know is detrimental to performance. So one of the examples in there um, is, the, is whether or not you're doing a relationship um, that has multiple predicates and, uh, or uses the you know less than or greater than um, uh, uh, predicate in a, in a relationship. So those things can be really slow. And there are and the, in all the cases where we, we um, talk about the performance, there's actually a note describing it and, and, and the sorts of things you can do. So absolutely, you can use a, a less than and a greater or a greater than in your relationship. And in lots of cases, it will work fine. If you've got a small data set or you know exactly what you're looking at or you've structured the predicates in a certain way so that you know it's only going to be a small number of records, that will work fine. In other cases, on large data sets, that might be horribly slow. And there's other ways to do that. You might look at scripting the relationship. So instead of having, you know, a, 
are less than, what you do is you go and find the the records that you want and put them in a uh, perhaps a, like a global field on the on one side of the relationship, so that you're only looking at those particular records. So there's different ways of going about things, performance things. You know, it, it might be that um, in your uh, you've got a style set up but every you've got a lot of objects that don't have a style set so they're just using custom styling so every uh every layout object that has a style means there's one style for each um for, for potentially hundreds of layout objects whereas if every object has custom styling that means there's a hundred styling references so filemaker has to go through and, and render a hundred different styles rather than just rendering one so those things are you know little things that you can pick up on that that um uh, as as filemaker developers look we might make the decision okay look i'm going to leave that as it is um but also you know it's occasionally handy to know oh hang on you know that's not something i i really wanted to do um that, that I can then go and look at and, and see whether there's something I can optimize in my solution. This kind of goes back to the, I think it was Michael that made the comment, something about, you know, is this for de you know, beginning developers? And I think this really shows how much a developer can learn just by reading the potential performance issues of, okay, wow, uh, maybe a developer didn't realize that multiple predicates, those that use the greater than or equal to signs throughout could actually cause a performance issue. So in a sense, by having an analysis tool, you're actually becoming maybe a better developer, a more broadened, uh, you know, perspective on what it takes to build a solution that performs well. So it's very interesting that you I address those issues. And and it's they're really not a they're not always a thing where based on what's telling you you must change this. Um, they're really a thing where you're saying, okay, I can learn a little bit about my solution from from looking at this and looking at where I use them. The other one that that base elements does, you know, there's the errors, there's unreferences, performance, there's also warnings. So those are things in your solution that um, uh, they're not broken. They're you know maybe perfectly intentional. But things that you may not, um, uh, you might want to just sort of catch and, and have a look at. So examples of that are things where you've got a relationship and you've got a field on, you know, both sides of the, the relationship, but the field is of a different data type. So I mean, I, I think if you've been in FileMaker and developing for a long time, you've done this before. You you set up a relationship and then you didn't realise that the field on one side is a number and the field on the other side is text. And then you're looking at the portal and you figure out why on earth aren't there any records in this portal? And it turns out is that your data types are wrong and so they they, they don't index the same and so they don't show the same information. Um, and the issue is that you've got the data types wrong. But there's also places where you can use that to your advantage. So you can have, for example, a text field on one side, which is a list of dates and a date field on the other. And so that way you can actually show multiple records by having a relationship that goes from text to date. So again, it's a thing that, you know, it, it can alert you and say, hey, do you know, you know, this is something that you're doing. Do you, do you know? You're looking at, staring at that portal, wondering why there aren't any records in it and have a look in base elements and say, oh, hang on, there's a wardle, there's a warning on this relationship. Oh, I'm using a different data type between the two. Um, so again, it's, it's something that... Um, is an issue that you you might not um, pick up on um, yourself. Um, another one is um, in a privilege set. It's actually possible to create a privilege set that uses external authentication, but then requires a password change. So you can't do that from within FileMaker. So the you know the the users using external authentication, but the privilege set saying you know require password changes. So again, it will alert you and say, look, this this doesn't make sense. This is not a, a logical way to set this up. Um, 
So yeah, things like that. So warnings, performance issues, I, I they're not something I will check day to day. Like if I'm developing a solution, I'll be looking at unreferenced items and I'll be looking at errors all the time. But what I do do is just go back every now and then as, as I'm thinking and, and look at what I'm doing there and look at what those warnings are and say, okay, look, is this something I want to, I want to look at it more generally is this something i need to get on top of uh, or am i happy with you know what i've done i understand that what i've done is there for a reason yeah excellent well we use it uh well i've been using it for things like in our internal system at productive computing of course it's running uh, filemaker sometimes uh we'll in, in, we'll put in certain things certain people can do certain things and i'll actually list their name if joe if mary and then sometimes if that person changes departments or they leave the company I'll need to go through and say, find me everywhere we've used, you know, Mary's name, and then I can. Now, maybe that's the incorrect way of programming it because obviously we use Active Directory and external authentication and all those things. But there are times where you just need one button to work for one person, so you program a quick if then and you put the name in there for the account. Base elements always comes through. You know, in two seconds, I've got a list of all the scripts that or the script steps that include Mary's name. And I can't tell you how invaluable that is for me. Hmm. Yeah. There's a, the, the thing that you're probably talking about there is the quick find, which I mentioned earlier in terms of um, the ability to, to search within a solution. So what we've actually done in base elements is sort of take over that quick find uh, field uh, in the toolbar. Um, so you can actually do that. You can, you can script a, a process that, that, um, uh, modifies that find instead of just doing the find like normally what we actually do is go through and do finds across the entire solution so it doesn't matter where you put the text whether it's inside a calculation field whether it's the comment for a calculation field whether it's a bit of text on a layout whether it's inside a script or a comment within a script any anywhere essentially that you've used um, a, a bit of text across your solution and then we pop up a, a list view which is you know you've used that text in in five fields and six custom functions and three layouts and and so you can then just click straight into those various ones so um, yeah again another neat little thing that um, it would be great if, if FileMaker itself did that let you search across your whole solution but it doesn't um, so yeah base elements comes to the rescue there yeah and I, I tell you that's one of the big features right there um, and then we already mentioned earlier where it is allowing you into find mode so you can do constrained finds and extended finds and sort you can export the data to a Excel, if you wanted, um, everything that you find, let's say you have a list of scripts that it, it has a checkbox on the right where you can say, you know, this is my list of things I need to do. And you can actually keep notes on that too. You can export too, but um, the data, there's a there are three files in, in base elements and, and the one that obviously has all the data is, is base elements underscore data. And you can link to those data tables from another FileMaker file. So there's not there's no um, uh, record restrictions in that. So you could build your own little um, uh, tool that links to the data that's coming out of your database design report. You could host that file up on FileMaker server and then access your um, DDR via the data API even. So you could you know reference the things that are happening in your in your base elements in your FileMaker solution from even other tools as well. So it, it's open in the sense that you can go in and do whatever you want there. It's up to you. You know you can modify the layouts in base elements and go into layout mode. You could add your own scripts. You could add files that do other things. So yeah, that, the the, the idea is it's, you know, it's your data and it's your solution that you're analyzing. You, you need to make your own decisions about what you do with it. 
Yeah, and and that's and that's excellent. I, we covered so many neat features about the openness and the I don't know the friendliness towards a traditional FileMaker developer, which which I know I think Michael and and John appreciate, and I know I appreciate. It's just you know keep it keep it straightforward, keep it simple, keep it with something we know. We don't have to relearn another tool or interface, things like that. So really wonderful. Um, I think it's important to talk about some basic reports that come with base elements, things that would otherwise be really difficult to find out. Um, there's a report called a change report, and um, this essentially compares two different versions of your base elements analysis. It could be five minutes apart, could be five days apart, doesn't matter, but it allows you to pick two DDRs and link link the two in a report and it will compare the two. Now, Nick, I think in version 19, you've got even a better way of doing that. Um, it's the same process, um, but we've just redesigned, um, if you if you got the, the latest beta, that we've just redesigned the interface so you can see see it in a, a much clearer way. So it's it's showing a, a, the, the detail of the changes between each 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 version of your solution and, and seeing okay this is a this is new so this is an addition this is a something that was deleted and then this is something that was modified um, and that's across the whole whole solution. There's there's one area where we we don't have a lot of insight because of the, like I said, with the way the DDR works, uh, which is layout objects. So we can't say, for example, for example, that you shifted this layout ob object three pixels to the left um, because we don't know which object is which. So what we do there instead is we compare, the, look at the layout, and say, look, you know, which fields are on this layout, which buttons are on this layout, which are those. So those main things, and say, okay, look, you've added a button. Um, now you're calling this script. You've added a, a field, and and now this field's been added or this field's been removed, all those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, that's really handy to be able to say, you know, what changed between these two versions. Hang on, my solution started misbehaving. Is it the same? Is it the same solution? You know, did someone break something, you know? Right, exactly. It's a form of audit trail, in a sense, you know. If you save your DDRs, it's a form of an audit trail. It's the best thing we have now. Um just last week, an employee of mine used the consolidation report, which up until I did the course, I didn't know much about. But this is a fantastic little hidden gem that allows you to take a solution. And uh, what we did is I needed some modifications on our internal system to handle IT assets. So I had this junior developer, his name is Jordan, and he created a whole solution for me offline. He I gave him a clone. He made the changes. I said, okay, now this is great. I need you to put those changes into the main solution, into the live solution. I want you to do it one by one, but I want you to use this new consolidation report or new to him in base elements. And he did that. And it gives you a step-by-step -step process by which schema elements you need to add in which order to make the least amount of headache and drama. In other words, it tells you, okay, first you need to add your fields. First you need to add your table. Then you need to add your fields. And it's got a regimented way of doing it so that you have the best chance for success. He came back with flying colors. He said, wow, that made it real easy. So I just wanted to share that quick story. Mm. There's a That actually came about because the first version of Base Elements, because it was written in version 6 and, and not many people, if you didn't, use version 6. Version 6 was one table per file. So in base elements, I had, uh, I, I forget, you know, 15 odd 
tables um, and so each table was a was a file and then version 7 came about and I'd, I'd done some consolidations to put things in um, into uh, different uh, into fewer files but I still had a, a I think it was around 10 different files and I thought this is silly what I really want is to consolidate it all down I want to bring all these table structures together um, and so you know that the, there's bits of it that that you can automate so you can copy a table for example a table uh, in, in terms of the not the, the data but in terms of the definition of the table with all its fields and you can paste it into another file and quickly you realize when you do that the, that half of it breaks because your calculations your table occurrences don't work you can you know the, they don't exist so your calculations break your your auto enter lookups break all those things get get busted as, as you do that um, so I went through this process of doing it in base elements and this was a this was a re weird bit of um, um, you know sort of matrix kind of thing where I was using base elements to build a report that let me consolidate base elements um, and what I figured out is there's little little uh, tricks that that um, mean that you can do that in a way that doesn't work so for example if I'm copying a table definition, and there's calculations within that so there's you know uh, relationships and table occurrences and things like that um, filemaker looks for the existence of the table occurrences but it doesn't look for the relationships so i i have this part of the graph you know there'll be a you know a, a, a section of the graph you know a spider bit of the graph that i that i need what i need to do first is you create just the table occurrences and the table occurrences can point to the file that you're bringing in so they can be an external table well, there's definitely a very interesting uh, interesting tool that does a, a lot and um, it's going to take a lot of time to really people to get to grips with it it would be wonderful if there was a way to be able to take an item in the base elements solution and click on it and be able to go directly to that element in the program itself that you're analyzing. Is that absolutely beyond the realms of possibility or might it be possible at some point? Yeah, so the the limitation there is actually in FileMaker. There's no way to. It would be a really cool feature. You could do it via um, user interface scripting. So again, you know, Apple Script on the Mac, or um, there's other um, sort of interface sort of scripting logic tools on on Windows. But um, and that was what we used to do in 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 Refresh FM, which we were talking about earlier. Um, it's a it's a a bit of a nightmare because uh, every even minor point releases of, of FileMaker break your scripting logic, so you've got to allow for the fact that the, the there are whole lots of different versions, and then people can actually use plugins that um, modify the FileMaker interface as well. So the plugins can break what you're doing, and then the plugins can be dynamic. You can turn some features on and some features off, or, or have it do different things. So the state of the FileMaker interface at any time is really unknown and unknowable. Um, so yeah, you can't do it that way. That'd be a great feature request. And, you know that um, we can do this. That you know if 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 you're out there and you want Base Element to be able to do this please stick up a feature request to Claris to say, I, I want I want the option to be able to reference um, uh, elements within my solution from outside. When you make, you've been working with the DDR for years and 
Have you worked directly with Claris at all on any DDR changes, suggestions, recommendations? Look, we have had we've had lots of discussions with them. Um, I, I'll be honest and say uh, there, there hasn't been a lot done. I think the DDR, um, although it's it's great and it's stable, and they update it every you know every time there's a new release of of um, uh, FileMaker, there's you know new features, and they get put into the DDR. But I don't think structurally they're they're looking at you know doing new things. For example. Um, I, I have put in requests for things, um, you know, new features and new functionality, but uh, um, and we've had discussions in in the past with other um, people, but I, I think their focus is more on this new Savers XML. So I think if they get through this process of um, uh, how we, you know, modify solutions um, down the track, I think they'd be okay. Look, now now that we've got here and we've you know, got all that part sorted. What do we What do we want in terms of analysis for solutions? Because I think FileMaker sees that these types of tools, like base elements, like um, um, Inspector and, and from Perception, I think they they see that they're valuable and and that FileMaker needs to be the one contributing to them. But at the moment, I think their focus is just elsewhere. Right. So you're, you've explained that the focus right now from Claris is really not necessarily the DDR, but more of the save as XML. And that's the future. That's the plans for the product. Uh, the DDR is technically complete as it stands now. And I'm sure they'll update it as new schema is introduced, as new features are introduced. They'll include that in the DDR, but it won't be the total focus of let's make the DDR even better than it is today. It's more like it's there. We know we need it for tools like base elements and inspector and others. Um, but it's not necessarily their main focus. Okay, great. Um, let me just ask, let's just see. Uh, one last question, and then we'll talk about where we can find the products and things like that. Uh, and maybe one other question about DevCon too. But first, what's your future plans for version 19 of Base Elements? So it's it's out as a as a beta, um, but we've been working on re revamping some of the the reporting functionality in it, um, and and redoing and reconsidering that. For example, the um, consolidation report um, has this uh, it's it's there, but I, I realise we can do a lot more with it. So for example, it, it, you could have the ability to because so much more of the solution is now copy and pasteable um we'll be able to say okay here's your consolidation report here copy from directly from base elements all of these things and paste them into the solution rather than it just telling you go into your other solution and copy one thing across and paste it um but there's some other reports in there as well the top call logging i'm trying to work out a way that that top call logging report if you've seen it contains a lot of data and i'm trying to work out a good way to make that useful to people um, not just saying okay this is the script but you know what does the data actually show so um, technically the version 19 uh, it's it's called a beta but it if you're using it to analyze a, a v19 solution then it's absolutely fine it's up to date and if it wasn't for these other reporting things the sort of big deeper things that i want to work on um it, I, it would just be released as, as 19.0 um you and i have been de de going to devcon for years and exhibiting um, do you recall when you started exhibiting? I guess it was 2006. You already said that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I did go to DevCon once before in 2004. Um, but since, yeah. And then I, I've, well, not me personally, but Goy has had a booth at, at every DevCon um, since 2006. I missed one of them. I missed um, San Francisco. Um, 
but um, Goya was there, two of my staff were there and we did the booth for me. Um, and I've been to everyone since. It is expensive, you know, it's it's for us as well. You know, people talk about, you know, the hotel costs or the, um, you know, flights, you know, from America and whatever, from, from Australia, you know, we flights <laughs> flights are more expensive. The way home, the trip home is usually sort of about, you know, 30 odd hours of travel. By the time you get it, it's like 16 hour flight from LA to Melbourne. And there's usually, you know, there's quite often an internal flight in, in the US as well. So by the time you pack up your hotel room by the, to the time you get home, it's about, about 30 hours. Um, look, it, in terms of us and in terms of uh, us as product developers, it's 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 critical for us. You know, I think you just I think we, we've reached a stage where you just sort of need to be there. But as well as, yeah, um, as well as that, I, I you know it it's grown in terms of what we do and 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 you know being able to talk to people, being able to talk to Clay, for example. We go to the the he does a little plug-in developers meeting, so we go to that and um, sometimes we get asked to you know talk about what we're doing in terms of uh, you know maybe rest fm or maybe solution upgrades or the ddr so you know there's there's some really cool things that we that now because we've been there we've been around and we've we've you know met with people i you know i i find value in devcon um from i haven't, I haven't been to a session since 2004 um so I, I haven't, you know, been to a single one because I'm either running the booth or off um, catching up with people. But I find super value in it, and it's usually the conversations I have outside of it. Quite often, the day after, um, you know, the, the Friday, most people have gone home, but there's half, you know, the, I'll, I'll find half a dozen people at the bar and have a great chat about some really cool stuff that that um, um, the platform is doing, or we're doing, or someone else is doing. So, yeah, look, I, you know, I think it's great. I, we we would have been there this year if if, if it was still on. Um, I was actually, yeah, I was actually really hoping to to I was going to give the European one a try as well. Go to Lisbon, Portugal. That would have been amazing. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I haven't been to those. Yeah, so I mean, we I, I think I share a lot of the same experiences. DevCon is more than just putting up a booth and trying to sell stuff. In fact, that's almost secondary to all the other things that go along with the networking, the collaboration, the ability to talk to the engineers, the ability to talk to customers, the ability to talk to friends and other things. People in the industry, like-minded people getting together at DevCon is, is hugely powerful and um, it provides great benefit. So it, it's hard to it's hard to calculate the cost. Is it worth it to go to DevCon? Very hard to explain that because in many ways, it is the one time of the year you need to do that sort of thing. And if you are going to be prominent in the industry per se, uh, DevCon is one way to help you do that, um, or at least help you get involved at that point. Michael had a question here that's talked about um, if you ever considered offering a monthly subscription for, let's say, $20 a month versus an annual subscription for $199. Um, had you ever considered that? Is that a possibility? Um, weirdly enough, I have, and I've also even created the the um, the, the subscription link in the the backend website. So we use um, uh, an, a, a thing called Chargeify for managing our subscriptions, and so that you can basically do anything you want with that. You know, annuals, monthly, whatever's. Um, so yes, I have. I, I've even created the thing, and I've just never talked about it. What I'm actually working on is a is a revamped version of our base elements website that better. Um, distinguishes between the the developer tool and the and the plugin, um, and I'm hoping when we do that to have it be a little bit clearer as to you know all the various options you know pick and choosing uh, different 
uh, licenses, but also, yeah, an annual versus a monthly, and you can pick one or the other. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Yeah. So you are considering annual versus monthly, a redesign of the website, more options and features, and a way to distinguish between Base Elements plugin and the Base Elements solution. So all these things are already running around in your mind and already uh, halfway you thought through. That's wonderful. Well, I think uh, I think that that really does take care of all the questions we had. Uh, just really important. Where can people find? Um, maybe we'll talk first. Where do they find the course? They can find that at productivecomputinguniversity.com. It's basically um, Productive Computing or ProductiveComputingUniversity.com. You can find our training there. There you can go and learn. It's about a two-hour course, and you can learn everything you've ever wanted to know about base elements. And I think it's absolutely the best way to fast-track your way into the solution to really learn all the aspects of it versus just kind of opening it up and you know hunting and pecking and experimenting on your own. Um, and, 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 and yes, and Michael wholeheartedly agrees as he's actually been through the the, the process uh, and um, feels the same way. So thank you, Michael. That's great. And then uh, where can they find Base Elements? What's the best way to, to find that? Yeah, just the, the website is baseelements.com as well. So um, yeah, if, if you stick that in Google, you'll, you'll find it as well. Um, if you need information about the plugin, um, it's docs as in documentation docs.baseelementsplugin.com um, and if you're stuck for any of those goya.com.au um, is our main company website and that links to all the bits and pieces that you need yeah this is michael rashad as you can probably imagine or you probably notice we've had some difficulties in recording because we weren't able to hear nick for the last 10 minutes of this so Mark has done all the talking with Nick, and we apologize for that. But anyway, it's been a fascinating discussion, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. And this is John Mark Osborne, and it was an absolute pleasure having you on, Nicholas. Hopefully you can hear me still, but uh, you can go back and watch the episode and, and hear what I said if you can't hear me now. So thanks, and uh, please put some comments in about uh, about this interview and and. Uh, the information that you learned uh, if, if, you're, if you're listening to it. We really appreciate those comments. You've been listening to Fireside Filemaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Richard. We'd love to hear what you think, so please email us at info at firesidefilemaker.com. That's info at firesidefilemaker.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.